Hello, welcome to the Disciples Quest. My name is Justin. My name's Emily, and William's not here today. Nope, he's uh, <laughs> unfortunately working right now, but we're very excited for today's episode as uh, it's not our normal episode where we uh, just discuss Bible verses. Today, we actually have a guest on. It is uh, Pastor Randy Levitt. He has been my pastor my entire life, and uh, we're very excited to talk to him as he uh, he has wor- been working at the Salvation Army for a very long time, and I think we're going to have a very great discussion today. So, um, mm-hmm. But before I get into that, uh, Emily, how did your week go? My week was good. Um, Will and I went to a course that was about spiritual warfare, so oh, that was wow. very interesting. Um, yeah, lots to learn about how the spiritual realm works in that way and how we're fighting against principalities and powers and not against people. So mm. yeah, just lots of insight there. I think that was pretty much the highlight of the week, just been working on fundraising some more and yeah that's about it <laughs> how uh is that at a church the yeah you go to? yeah it's at um porridge avenue church they have had a couple of courses now um we have some people that used to work with ywam so mm. yeah it's been good <laughs> awesome Glad yeah yeah how was your week justin my week was also pretty good uh i had a vacation time so i had a full week of holidays so i it was very nice i got to relax at home unfortunately on my way to the gym my car broke down uh, I opened the hood and the belt fell off my car. I brought it to a shop and they said, it's not just the belt. It's a lot of damage. Um, so unfortunately, I'm without a car, but that's okay. It's kind of humbled me and allowed me, forced me to have to save better. Mm. Um, so you know what? Even though I lost my car, we can still praise God that there are buses that can yeah. take me to work. So. Even in the winter, they run pretty well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll get into the episode today. So sitting with us today is... Pastor Randy Levitt, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you, Justin and Emily. It's nice to be here in in this radio broad podcast kind of <laughs> environment. Yes. I know I know you've, you've had a podcast happening for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Whether you've been getting up enough courage to ask me or I've been getting up enough courage to say, I think I can do this, but <laughs> it's, it's all come together here in December and really, really so pleased to be here with you. Yeah. Oh, thank it's you. great to have you. Yeah. <laughs> Great, uh, great sermon today too. By the way, <laughs> yeah, we're recording on a Sunday right after the church service. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so, the first thing we want to talk to you about, Pastor, is uh, just for those listening that may not know who you are, um, I-, I would love to hear maybe kind of your story as well as uh, your journey to Christ, where you came from, and and how you came to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was born very young. <laughs> in the uh, province of New Brunswick, down in the in the Bay of Fundy area, in a little hamlet called the Tang, in Back Bay, New Brunswick, on the on the Bay of Fundy, and was born to a, a godly Christian family, uh, brought into a wonderful church, Seaview, uh, Full Gospel Assembly. Uh, it was a dynamic church, and uh, I was brought at a very young age through Sunday school. Had years of perfect attendance and. <laughs> And uh, my mom and dad knew Christ and loved Christ and instilled those home values into my life or in my home. And uh, But, you know, you don't become a Christian by osmosis. Like, it doesn't just sort of seep into you. Right. And you don't become, God has no grandparents, you know, or grandchildren. So uh, mm-hmm. I had to come to know him personally. Mm-hmm. And I did it at a very young age where I gave my life to Christ and received him as my personal Savior. And at age uh, 10 or 12, was uh, baptized as a believer. And in a Pentecostal context, uh, 
I received an infilling of the Holy Spirit and uh, was called to the ministry when I was just a, a, just a little boy. And uh, that's all I've known all my life. I think it was like it's almost like it's in my mother's milk, you know, just mm-hmm. yeah, as a little you've baby. Known. <laughs> and um, but there came a moment of personal decision where I had to uh, come to Christ as a sinner, like everyone else, and realize that His atonement was full and free and and forever. And I received Him as my Savior, and I never regretted that. <laughs> Here I am, an older guy now, but uh, still still have this confidence that I am yeah. his and that he is mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your the beginning of your story is similar to mine where you were also raised in a very strong Christian home. For me, there there was a specific moment where I can remember where I had that aha moment. I actually understand what I've been told my whole life by by you and by my parents. Did you have a specific moment where you felt like it made it all made sense now or do you think it kind of just gradually you gradually understood? the gospel and the message. I think there was a moment in our local church in New Brunswick, we had a Sunday evening service was, imagine that's how old I am, we had a Sunday <laughs> evening service. Yeah. Mm. And uh, at every service concluded with an altar call. Mm. Somebody was singing Just As I Am or Pass Me Not oh, a Gentle yeah. Savior or yeah. one of the great altar songs. And I remember a tug at my heart and I went forward, and mm-hmm. and on Monday, it was spread across the little village. Yeah. Uh, Randy gave his life to Jesus last <laughs> night. And so, yeah. um, <laughs> but it, it was a sort of a continuing, continuing and on of the journey that I'd been on. And so there wasn't a drastic change of lifestyle mm-hmm. because I was just a little boy. Right. But there was, a, there was an, an acknowledgement of Jesus as my Savior, and that impacted me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thank God for his saving yeah. and sufficient grace. Thank yeah. God. Yeah, definitely. So you were saying at, at a very young age you you felt called. Do you do you know at what point you felt like you wanted to be a pastor? Was that at a, also at that very young age? I think I remember you saying once it was quite you were quite young. I you preached felt. my first sermon, uh, Justin, when I was 11 years old. Oh, I thought it was like 16, 11. No, I was, I was wow. 11 years old, and wow. my buddy uh, Don Carmont, who now is, has his doctorate and preaches out in uh, Abbotsford, uh, B.C., uh, we went on our first crusade, quote, mm-hmm. in the Eastport, Maine, for a long weekend and preached at a church there. I think I was 11, he was 12, and... And um, wow! <laughs> so all yeah. my style, my teen years, instead of going to Sunday school, I was teaching Sunday school. Oh wow! <laughs> and when I was in just uh, young school ages, the the principal would say, um, "Hey, I had used to have hair, and it used to be really blonde and white." And he'd say, <laughs> "Hey, young men, say a prayer for all of us." Yeah. And so when I bowed and said a prayer, it just uh, God would help me for the day or for the school. He would just. Uh, so it was just it was always known wow. hmm. in that school and in my village that I that I would be in the ministry and uh, wow I, I can't mm-hmm. even imagine yeah. myself trying to preach at eleven mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's clearly a calling from God at, yes. at such a young age to you were called to be a leader know things about Jesus and to have the confidence to preach it wow that's yeah. amazing um, do you remember what your early sermons were about back then like how did you well, I'm sure I'm say. sure God has forgiven me for <laughs> for my bad theology hey, back there, but we all learned. But, uh, but uh, I had great people who loved me and who uh, supported me and encouraged me through my teen years. Every Friday night we had a 
significant youth service, probably had a hundred plus people, and I would mm-hmm. I would preach a lot during those Friday evening services, and and my pastor through my high school years, his name was Bill Fullerton, uh, just a wonderful man of God. He would uh, so encourage me, mentor me in my messages. He would say mm-hmm. after the service, oh, Randy, I really liked that part in the service. That's a wonderful point. Mm-hmm. And then he'd say, but why did you say that? And I would say, because such and such. And he would say, you thought that the people knew that? Like, don't assume oh, that people right, know. Right. And so <laughs> huh. then he would say, do you ever think about taking this scripture and going over here? Or, right, And right. so my mind would just expand and explode yeah. with the <laughs> versatility and the the great vastness of scripture where you could go with it. And and uh, so he, he taught me how to preach and how to, mm. how to analyze and how to rightly divide the word of truth. Mm. So... That's yeah. been my experience all my life. I've, yeah. I've never known anything other than that. And um, mm-hmm. here I am. I've been passing the church I am in now for over 34 years. And um, just, um, but still have uh, some seawater still floating in my veins from the Maritimes. <laughs> hey, and, uh, that never goes away. That's my first love is the <laughs> good old Bay of Fundy. I'd, but, love, I'd love to visit one. Uh, but we found a home here on the prairies of good people yeah. throughout Manitoba and Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when you were saying that you felt um, like you were getting guidance from from this gentleman, uh, do you do you think that there were any big challenges that you faced uh, that you that you're willing to share? Like some 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 things that may have come up that challenged you. I was raised in a, that part of New Brunswick was quite a legalistic. Uh, there was a legalistic branch of Pentecostalism that was quite strong in there. Mm-hmm. And I was exposed to that at a very young age, where it was um, where they it was what we would label the, theologically as Jesus only. Mm-hmm. It was not Trinitarian in its right. history. Right. And, and it was very legalistic in that salvation was through, uh, through repentance and through baptism mm-hmm. and through mm-hmm. speaking in tongues. It was, it was, it was performance-driven. Okay. And so I was challenged at an early ministerial age to mm-hmm. search the scriptures and to discover the transcendency of the Holy Trinity mm. and to experience the grandeur of God's amazing grace. You know, And so I, I had to come to the all-sufficiency of the atonement and the uh, adequacy of the blood of Christ to be our propitiation for our mm-hmm. sins. And so that was a challenge for me in my young years to... And actually, I had to uh, had to almost take a stand against some of the my friends mm. who with whom I shared colleague and peer kind of ministry ties to, mm-hmm. but uh, to realize that my commitment to God's grace and to the very essence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yeah. uh, transcended all of the human connections that I had, and so yeah. that was a challenge for me. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I can see that. I, I know that. I've I've looked into some other churches that were I would call like hyper Pentecostal, and I looked at that and thought that's so different than what I see in our church, which we consider ourselves a Pentecostal church. And I, I saw um, like people rolling on the ground and like, and I'm like, this is this like it, it didn't sit right with my spirit. And I'm not saying I wasn't of God, but just something didn't seem quite right about it. So it mm. it, it it may have been a bit of performance and. So I know that, especially if you have friends that are close to the ministry, it, it would be very tough to yeah. to put the truth ahead of friendships. Because, I mean, Christ can will break up father and son, and mm-hmm. 
and daughter against mother. So yeah, well, yeah. there's a there's a theology on the person of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. There's a systematic theology on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but there's no systematic theology in Scripture over the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Right. Because right. that relates to our personal response, our personal personalities, and how we react to just to His presence. And so there's no systematic theology. But there's overall writing principles that says that we do things decently and in order, and we do things that will in a spirit of moderation that'll honor God in our reactions. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of guidelines in scripture, but there's no theology that says if you want to worship God, you've got to clap your hands or you've got yeah, to dance or yeah. you've got to roll on the floor or Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but our reaction to that has to be has to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not by fleshly desire to be heard or to be seen of, of man. So mm-hmm. okay. yeah. How do you see the Holy Spirit working um, in your life? Mm. Wow, I, I see him um, <laughs> teaching me teaching me patience. Mm. I see him the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I see him guiding me as I prepare my sermons. You know, I uh, you say, where did that thought come from? Mm. You know, it was he just drops a thought into your mind that always, of course, is in alignment with Scripture and mm-hmm. supported by Scripture. But he, he speaks to us in, in those in, in the context of preparation as we mm-hmm. as we want to this says the Holy Spirit feed the flock of God in Acts, it says over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. And so if the Holy Spirit has given you in that position, then he will anoint you and he will enlighten you mm-hmm. and and give you insight into mm-hmm. how to you what to say to feed the flock. Yeah. So he so the Holy Spirit works in my life and um I'm I'm just humbled by him because it's it's him, mm-hmm. and ultimately he he the glory goes to goes back to Christ. So mm-hmm. uh, he works in my life every day, giving me a, just a desire to do his will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, there there are times where I've struggled with knowing how to discern if it's me or if it's the Holy Spirit, but I've. I've always known when it is the Holy Spirit, I know for a fact. Like I'll I'll pray and then I'll think about what I just said. I'm like, yeah, that that definitely was not me. <laughs> I I wouldn't say that. That was that was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really awesome. Um, so we'll move on here. Uh, so eventually, you moved from New Brunswick to Winnipeg. Uh, so what made you think about moving? And was that um, mm. a, a decision you made for the church? Um, did you feel like you were called to Winnipeg for reaching to the less fortunate, or did that come later on? No, I was minding my own business, okay. having, having a good time in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Fair enough. Pastoring Full Gospel Church. It was a great church, great choir, good history, just a solid church. And, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife, Gail, and I and the family were there uh, back in the um, early 80s, late 70s, and... Um, a minister from the West. He was uh, president of a of an, uh, a Pentecostal fellowship in Western Canada, and we became friends of his. He came to church one day and said, "Randy, why don't you and your family move out west?" And I said, "Because I don't want to." So, <laughs> That's so, fair. So yeah. we're very happy in the Maritimes. Our families, our roots, and friends are all here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the next year he came by again. And he said, uh, "Randy, you ought to come out west. You're our kind of people." And I said, I don't know anybody out west. Right. Well, he said, what if your name was put in a church? What would you do? And I said, 
I nobody, no church out west knows me. So right, how? Yeah. Well, he said, I put your name in a couple of churches, and I said, excuse me. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so, um, and so they, I got a call from a church in Saskatchewan, and hmm. they were um, in a building program, building a two or three million dollar structure, and, and they were without a pastor. And, and I preached there that Sunday. My wife and I flew out, and uh, from Halifax to Saskatchewan, and. And I just preached there what I preached the last Sunday in Halifax. And, <laughs> okay. You know, we did yeah. nothing special. Yeah. And uh, we, um, they offered us the position. And I said, no, I don't think I want to move out west. So I moved down east. And then they said, um, so another person tried out. And, you know, it was like a contest. And they, mm. before they voted on him, he called the church and said, the Lord just spoke to me and said, I'm not supposed to come. Don't let my name stand. And they were. The mm. congregation was already gathering to vote on him that night, mm. and he withdrew his name. And so the church was confused, and they said, ultimately, they called me back and said, what will it take for you to come out west? And I laughed and said, I don't know. How about a 96% vote? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they said, so about a week or so later, he called me back. And he said, good evening, Pastor. And I said, Pastor? And he said, yeah, we had a vote. You got 97%. Wow. And I said, I said how could that be? Nobody knows me. Yeah, yeah. And he said, well, the people that weren't there didn't vote on you, so because they didn't think that was fair. But at any rate, right. that was around Thanksgiving time. So November found us in the frozen tundra lands of Saskatchewan <laughs> and and. Uh, the uh, dry air, no ocean around us. It was like a foreign country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's how we ended up west. Uh, the, mm -hmm. You know, there's a sovereignty to all of life. Mm -hmm. There's a place where you say that, that God knows before we know. Mm -hmm. And God has a plan that is beyond our our ability to manipulate things, you know. It wasn't just a political, because I said, I don't want to go. And I turned them down. And it was three or four tries and they finally mm. the scenario was created that and that found me in Saskatchewan and uh, in the midst of that building program and uh, so then in 1988 I, I came into uh, Winnipeg and uh, to a, a divided split congregation and I uh, didn't come to spend the rest of my life here but <laughs> 34 years later here I am yeah and um, wow. my life has taken some twists and turns while here. Uh, and whoever thought that the Salvation Army would come in to my life, mm. and I, uh, I had no connection with them whatsoever. I chaired the ministerial in Halifax, 30, 40 pastors, and mm -hmm. among that were Salvationists. So right. I, I've known Salvation Army officers, but nothing no official connections and mm -hmm. and no interaction or no connecting of dots so we just just appreciated their social and and their impact in our world and yeah mm. so that was so then how did that happen the transition from being just uh, the pastor i guess in a uh, church in winnipeg to uh, eventually uh, what's your official title at salvation Army? the chaplain the chaplain spiritual caregiver yeah i went to uh, uh, my wife knew a, fr a friend of hers was in was a friend of the, in the Salvation Army, and um, she was a friend of an officer. And an officer they needed a chaplain at 180 Henry Avenue. At that point, it was called the Salvation Army Booth Center. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so she called me up and said, I, "I hear you might be interested in becoming a chaplain." And I said, "I've never been a chaplain. I don't know anything about it. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I can pastor." So, so I went down. They took me on a tour of the building, and. Uh, 
saw the brokenness and the woundedness mm-hmm. of people, and I um, went home and to back to my own church. And on a Saturday night, I was sitting in the front of front pew at, in a prayer meeting, and I didn't feel great urgency to pray. I was just sitting there in the presence of the Lord, and I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, "You need to read." the Gospel of Luke again. Hmm. And I, I was reading it. And so I went to the pulpit, picked up a Bible and opened it up. And it, it was a marginal Bible with notes from Jack Hayford, California, the four square gospel was where he made notes. Mm-hmm. And it says, um, if you, if you love people who, to whom you um, cannot repay you, what value is that? And if you love somebody because they love you, pardon me, what value is that? You know, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees do the same thing. Right. You need to love people who who cannot love you in return. Mm. And the marginal the marginal notes that Hafer wrote said that you need to learn to love the ugly, the powerless, and the helpless. Mm. To learn to love them the way Jesus did. And I sat there and let that saturate, marinate in my mind. And the next morning, I called my board together and said, "Hey." I think I want to go downtown inner city and the Salvation Army. And they said, what do you want to learn? What do you want to do there? And I said, I want to learn to love people mm-hmm. the way Jesus loves people. Hmm. And they said, well, if that's what you want to do, God bless you. And so they, they gave me some latitude and some flexibility and said, go with our blessing. And um, when I tell that story down there, I did it to an addiction spirituality class, and they said to me, Pastor, is that how you see us as being ugly? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I said, Uh-oh. well, when I came down here, I saw the powerlessness and the woundedness of people, mm. but the ugliness that I found was in me. Hmm. Wow. It was the ugliness of racism. Oh. Hmm. It was the ugliness of, of prejudice. Mm-hmm. And so we used to drive by, and my wife would say, uh, uh, Randy, are the windows up? Are mm. the doors locked? We're mm-hmm. coming up North Main here, you know. And they were, they were people to, they were people to fear. Right. They were people to, that they were, they were violent or they were mm. whatever adjectives that, that label you want to put on them. Mm-hmm. They were not socially adjusted. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but there, among that kind of people, mm. I, I found the grace of God. Mm. I found the love of God. And so the ugliness of that learning curve was in me. And uh, I'm not going to monopolize, but I've got, I've, got, uh, I've got a lot of stories. For sure. About people that have been wounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, that through their woundedness, they have touched the wounds in me. Mm. So God uses wounded healers. Yeah. And he uses our wounds to bring healing to others. So, yeah. Wow. Like, that's that's an interesting point that you made at the end. Because I, I, I think that many people in general, but uh, many Christians feel maybe scared or intimidated or nervous when they're approaching homeless people. Um, how is it that we can navigate this? Because we're called to minister to people, but if we're always held back, and maybe maybe some of it is maybe some of the feelings are are fair. Like we we are in a, a more of a dangerous city, so I understand why people might feel a little bit nervous. But at the same time, we are to show the love of Christ to everybody, despite how we might think they might act. Mm-hmm. So, how how can we navigate 
sharing Christ to the people that are less fortunate? Uh, first of all, I think our language needs to go to a convalescent home. I mm. think that we're, our language is uh, in itself racist and prejudiced. I personally don't like the word homeless. Mm. It is a wide brush that has so many negative connotations to it. Right. And we, we encompass everybody and say, oh, they're homeless. Right. And by tone of voice or by mindset, we say, we, we classify them. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an us and them kind of thing. Right, right. And the, it is just ordinary people that don't have a home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And they don't have a home because of what? Of many Their reasons. Mental yeah. health issues. Yeah. Uh, maybe they missed a few paychecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've just gone through some rough times. Wrong place at the wrong time. And so time. the question out there to everybody listening is, how many paychecks would you have to miss before you were homeless? Mm-hmm. You know, And if you were homeless, would that change who you were as a person? Would you, would you lose your value? In, where, in what does your value lie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your mm-hmm. possessions or yeah. in the idea that you are created in the image of God? Yeah. You know, I reduced all of my theology, Justin and Emily, down to one sentence. And it is, I believe that every human being is created in the image of God with dignity, mm-hmm. with destiny, and with design. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at people that, quote, are homeless, I look at people that were created in the image of God, who have dignity mm-hmm. by virtue of their creating, being created in God's image, who have destiny, and who have design or purpose. And so... I think our language needs to be uh, shored up a little bit and say, what, when we say homeless, mm-hmm. are, are we just defining their immediate state right. or are we defining their value? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to make. Like we, we should be very precise with our speech and, and careful how we word things um, because I do believe, and I think this is especially a problem that I've seen uh, where we've grown up in Winnipeg because of, um, I mean, if you look at it, which we'll get into later today, that we do have a the highest percentage of indigenous people in any city in North America. And I know that many people, when they think of certain words, certain prejudices come to their mind and mm-hmm. they they kind of put this blanket term, like you said, right? Homeless people. It just, it just paints them with this brush that... You know, they're probably crazy. They're they're probably spending money on alcohol. And all these assumptions come to our mind when in reality that person is just as much a sinner as you or I. Mm-hmm. But like you said, they're also made in the image of God, just like just like us. The other day, Justin and Emily, I was serving, I was punching people's tickets going into lunch mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. Center of Hope. And I saw this person's name on the ticket. And I heard he was in the center, but I had never met him before. And he, I'm not going to mention names, Mm -hmm. but he is a father of a very, uh, well, he's a farmer of a a bomber Mm. player here in Winnipeg. Wow. Mm. I've met, I've seen lawyers and and, uh, people that were just down on their luck, Mm. but they found themselves without a place to live. Mm -hmm. Right. And so... We we accept people that they we don't take dignity from them. Uh, we a few years ago we were serving a Christmas dinner. A thousand people were going through mid December, a full Christmas dinner midweek at the center. And as I was shaking people's hands, saying Merry Christmas, enjoy mm-hmm. your lunch, 
and their faces were red and wind burnt and mm-hmm. uh, the cold was still in their fingers and in their bodies and they were walking by me and on the way to lunch I was just wishing them a Merry Christmas mm-hmm. and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, son, these are the faces of Christmas. Mm-hmm. This is why I came. Jesus himself for the first uh, beginning of his life was homeless. Right. And he went yeah. to Egypt yeah. for a couple of years. And uh, so, hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the savior of the world was in that position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he would, he'd be very comfortable at the Salvation Army. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Homeless elder. Yeah. And um, so we need to realize that our language must be guarded to know the definition we give to these words. Don't take dignity from them. Mm or destiny from them, or the fact that they've been created in the, in the image of God like all of us. Mm-hmm. I, I would, uh, you know, there are three, three protocols to homelessness in Scripture. Mm-hmm. The first one is um, found in the person of Mephibosheth. You know? uh, he became homeless as a little baby. You know, his father had died, his grandfather, Saul and Jonathan, died, and uh, his nurse dropped him, and he became disabled, lame on both feet, Wow! and homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did Mephibosheth do to be homeless? Right, he right. did nothing. Yeah. Right? The, the second the protocol for homelessness is found in the, in the uh, man on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, the Jericho Road, the Good Samaritan. Yeah, uh, he was homeless. He because he was victimized. Mm-hmm. Robbers had stolen from him, and he lost everything. Mm-hmm. He didn't wake up and say, "Well, you know, I think it'd be a great day to be homeless." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't a choice. He got he got beat up on a Jericho Road. Yeah, and the Jericho Road runs up Portage and Maine. It runs down Regent. Mm-hmm. It runs down. Where? Your street, where you live. That's the Jericho Road. And on every Jericho Road in Winnipeg, you'll find people that are broken and they're bruised and have been mm-hmm. robbed of their dignity, robbed of their destiny, robbed of the purpose of God in their life. And uh, these people very quickly fall into a system that is, is, that's a, in itself a trap. And they, they become hopeless so, or they become homeless so the Mephibosheth and the man in the road didn't uh, they didn't decide they were one was victimized and one just the environment in which you just as a child was raised homeless you know mm-hmm. and the third protocol is the prodigal son he became homeless because he did some really stupid things <laughs> yeah you know? yeah he made some bad choices yeah and he's some going to leave home I'm going to blow all my money in riotous living that's living without restraint. Yeah. And so he was homeless because of the decisions that he made in his life. Mm-hmm. But not all homeless people are made, made bad choices. Mm. You know, Mephibosheth didn't, and the man on the Jericho Road didn't. But mm-hmm. I think these are three protocols in Scripture that, for me, have guided my, my mindset when I, when I speak to, quote, those that are homeless, that the... Uh, Everybody has their, they come into homelessness in their own journey. Mm-hmm. And I've met them who've, who have um, 
become victims of, of their environment, victims of uh, violence, and some victims of their own choices. And so one has to have wisdom and grace in all of these protocols. I've uh, also heard that many, many suffer from mental illness yeah. that are homeless. And I also read uh, not too long ago that many are also uh, veterans that mm-hmm. have found found themselves out of luck, um, whether it's because we didn't do enough for them when they came back over. And that's a hard one. Yeah, that, under, that hurts. <laughs> you know, uh, guys, I don't know how much time you want to give me here, but there's a mind. there was a guy that lived in a box mm-hmm. on Main Street. Yeah, and he lived there uh, most of his life. When when he turned sixty five, mm-hmm. he got a pension. Yeah, so he bought a TV and he mm-hmm. got a room up on the third or fourth floor in the center. And I went to see him one day, and I said, "Hey, Gordon," I said, "My, he was so well organized. He had Velcro, <laughs> Vel, you know, Velcro tape is it on the wall. He had all his microphone, all his." Remotes all stuck organized, up there. Organized, yeah. It was like a 12 by 12 room. It was so organized. I said, Gordon, I said, I'm <laughs> impressed. Well, he was an engineer in the military in Cold oh. Lake, Alberta. Wow. wow. And I said, well, what brought you into homelessness? And uh, he lived in a cardboard box on on Main Street. And I said, how did you get into Well, he as, as an engineer, he and his wife had a falling out. And he got he he got divorced and came here and mm. was caught up in poverty. And, um, Gordon died. Mm-hmm. Well, he before he died, he had cancer. And I said to him, Gordon, is there somebody you need me to call, or is there somebody in your family you need me to connect with? He said, No, there's nobody. I said, There's nobody, Gordon, in this whole world that cares whether you're living or dying. He said, No. Then he told me a story. And so he died, and so I I, I called uh, the my my friend in the uh, Bardell's funeral home and said, let's put a little thing in the paper, and there might be somebody just just a little brief that Gordon had died. And I came into my office that following Monday, and the the assistant director said to me, "There's somebody in the boardroom wanting to talk to you, Pastor." And it was a girl. And I said to her, hi. I said, how can I help you? She said, I'm not quite sure, Pastor, but reading the obituary, I think that man might be my father. Really? And I said, really? Wow. And she said, yeah. And she told the story about Cold Lake, and it, it seemed to all connect, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I said to her, you know, your father probably thought he was seven days a week. And she said, how do you know that my father even thought of me all the, after all these years? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, well, where, where do you live? She said, I live in Fair, in, up off uh, uh, Crestview. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, well, did your mother, he says, what? no, his mother, his mother bought a house and she's, she lives here in, uh, in St. James as well. Oh, really? Hmm. I said, really? Wow. And his brother works, lives, works in Trans Corner, drove by that cardboard <laughs> box every day. Wow. And, um, wow. So, I said, well, I know your your dad thought of you several times, probably every week. She said, how would you know that? And I went into the safe where I kept his wallet, mm. and I brought the wallet out, and I opened the wallet, mm. and there was a picture of her and her brother, like 10, 12 years old. Wow. And every time he opened up the wallet, yeah, he saw her. Mm. And we had a wonderful exchange, mm. and uh, they had, and so... His wife and his daughter and grandchild, there's a lot of anger there because 
he had never met his grandchildren and so on, just wasted mm -hmm. many years. Mm -hmm. But there he was, homeless in a box in on Portage Avenue, just fell through the grid and uh, wow. probably some mental health issues and brokenness and, yeah. and wounded self-esteem and all of these issues that came to bear and and uh, it was hmm. it was it was quite a it was quite a moving yeah, moment what, at the graveside. Yeah. What a story! Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Oh man. Yeah. Um, how long have you been working at the Center of Hope? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> nobody knows for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's twenty plus years. I'm, hmm. It's between twenty and twenty-two years. Mm -hmm. I've been working there. Um, yeah, just um, I found a, a place where where Jesus is there every day. Hmm. And uh, I just, uh, I'm just so honored to be a part of that dynamic. The Salvation Army, of course, is multifaceted, multi-layered. Mm -hmm. And um, wow, especially at Christmas time. Yep. And again, I'm not going to belabor, but I've got great Christmas stories. Oh, yeah. Of, of miracles that happen at Christmas <laughs> yeah. time right here in Winnipeg. Mm. And so uh, I'm honored to be a part of that. Uh, they have enriched my life more than that I have enriched them. I'm just a better man because of, of the grace of God that I've seen in them. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Could you give an example of the way that you've seen Jesus at work at the center? Yeah, I've seen people come to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, someone once asked me, we were doing an accreditation, or stats are very important in the Salvation Army, like in every organization. And uh, I was being interviewed by a, uh, officer from Toronto, and he said, how many people do it in a year do you bring to Jesus? And I said, I bring everybody to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they do when they get there, but yeah. I bring them to Jesus. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. And so that's our mandate is not to convert. Our our mandate is to in, introduce. Mm -hmm. you know? And sure, so yeah. we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it in bringing healing to the lost. Uh, this coming Tuesday, I got a memorial service of a 29-year-old girl who who OD'd. Uh, mm -hmm. Last week I had a I had a a uh, memorial service of a 39-year-old girl who OD'd, and and I see the grace of God ministering healing to the staff that find them, mm -hmm. ministering grace to the friends or we families. Uh, and, oh, during COVID pandemic, I I did eight or ten. Um, Memorials of one guy. I know he was a great basketball star in in university. I read his obituary and said, "How did a basketball elite basketball player end up homeless?" You know, hmm. uh, in this kind of environment. And uh, but I've seen the grace of God minister to families and hmm. friends, and and um, we do all in His name. It says, "If you give a cup of water in His name, you'll not lose its reward." So. All that we do, um, we do in His name, and it's uh, it's wonderful to see people respond. Mm. You know. I have a, a bit of a maybe harder question that I want to ask you about this, which would be: many people, when they when they think of Christianity, they think you're using that as a crutch for whatever you're going through. I'm assuming because you're talking about people, a lot of people that are broken that you may have heard that before, that you're only sharing this to them because they have nothing else that they could get, um, nothing else that would give them meaning. What, what would you be res your response to people that, that tell Christians that they're only believing in that because 
they need something to cling on to and they'll just take anything. Do you think that that's accurate that homeless people would just take Christ just because why not? Or I'm assuming you believe that there is some other, there's an actual reason to believe it as opposed to just it's there because there's nothing else. Well, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that becoming a Christian is intellectual suicide. <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, C.S. Lewis, the great British theologian, said that when a man begins to think, God has the advantage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's one of William's favorite authors. So Christianity is for thinkers. I mean, look, at, look at the great universities across North America, Princeton and Yale and, and even the colleges here in Manitoba and across Canada. They were founded by great Christian thinkers, yep. philosophers yep. and great theologians. And so the, the academia has the roots of it here in North America is in itself Christian. Mm-hmm. Some of the greatest philosophers and thinkers of, of history have been Christians. Yeah. 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 So I think that if, again, we use the word homeless as crutches, again, it is, is laced with uh, prejudice. We think because you're, you're homeless, you're dumb. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've engaged in some very profound conversations with people that are homeless. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Me too. And uh, come with me, and I, I could take you to a few people that would. Uh, oh yeah. You know, stretch your braid a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You're thinking. Yeah. So, but but they've tried. Many of them have tried everything. They've they've tried the drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've tried the the political system. You know, and they found a, an unbending. They found they found no answers there. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I, for many years, I did a spirituality class for the, for the addicted in a program called the Anchorage Program. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I've, and every Tuesday, I would have a QA. I would just go to 20, 30 people and say, okay, let's talk about the Bible. Got any questions? And my goodness, we would, the, the, we would probe this, the, the depth of scriptures with many of these people. And so, uh, uh, the fact that we need a crutch implies that we're lame. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, right. But, but the idea is that we're all lame, you know? <laughs> yeah. We're all weak. Mm-hmm. And uh, what some people call a, a, a crutch is just a, a means for them to, to belittle it or to, to devalue it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, is the cross a, a, a crutch, mm-hmm. you know? the great redemption, the atonement that was there. I think that we all need to, before we all, we all don't need a crutch, but we all need a savior. Yeah. You know, if you don't think you need help, uh, well, first of all, you're not going to get any help because you need to admit it first of all, right? Yeah. And so the first, the ABCs of the gospel is A, admit that you are a sinner. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. C, confess him as your savior. And so uh, the idea that someone's, I, I don't need a crutch. What does that right. mean? That you're right. you're independent? That yeah. in itself mm-hmm. is the very definition of spiritual pride, yeah. which casts the devil out of heaven. And if it casts the devil out of heaven, it's not going to get you into heaven. Right. Right. And so the idea that Christ is not a crutch, but Christ is the answer yeah. to a broken world. And uh, so I present Jesus Christ not as pablum, you know, don't water it down. I don't have to dumb the gospel down because people are homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. uh, I preach the gospel like I would on a Sunday morning with great fervor. 
mm-hmm. and, and with a great a sense of, of faith and know that it works, whether you're living in a house in Tuxedo or whether you're living in the, in the uh, 180 Henry Avenue. The Bible is not geographical. It's mm-hmm. a gospel of the globe. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's the whosoever will. And so I tell you today, if you don't think you need Jesus, you're the one who needs him the most. Right. Right. I, I've, I've had conversations with uh, coworkers recently about, about faith. And kind of what you said there really reminded me of that is that I was telling them that I am inherently broken and I'm in need of a savior. And I was telling them that I, I don't believe that humans are inherently good. Because the way I the way I think good should be defined is that anything of God. Well, I've I've fallen short of the glory of God, mm-hmm. and they were completely disagreeing with me, saying that well, all humans are inherently good, and every so often we mess up. But I'm a good person, and they're all saying, yeah, we're all we're all good, Justin. What I don't understand what you're saying. We're, I'm a good guy. I I I share things every so often. Mm-hmm. I don't lie too much, and I'm like, well, that, that that's where you and me just really differ, and that's where I think. The Christian perspective is very different than the world's perspective. Is that mm. I, I believe that I I know what I deserve. I deserve to go down there. Yeah. Because I'm broken and I'm in need of a savior. And I think it's it's an interesting topic to have to navigate with people. That it's it's hard. It was hard for me to navigate that conversation because our our worldviews are so different. Mm-hmm. Where they I believe that I I fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm in, I'm broken, and that's when they brought up the crutch thing. And I go, it's just a crutch, and I'm like, well, I am broken, so maybe. I, I, but it's not a crutch, though. It's, I mean, it, it's it's saving my my mm-hmm. eternity. Yeah, it's a total transformation. Yeah. Now, the, well, the total depravity of man is uh, that man on his own uh, is capable of charity is capable of, of uh, good works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. those good works have no redeeming value in terms of salvation. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, yeah. lest any man should boast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we are spiritually depraved people. That is, we do not have the ability to, to please and to live a righteous life before God. You know, righteousness was at its peak and ultimate height in the life of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. You know, they they read the Bible, they went to church, they paid their tithes uh, legalistically, uh, to the even down to the plants they grew in the garden. Uh, they were Jesus they were a right they were a religiously righteous people. Mm-hmm. But Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So the righteousness that man can produce at, at the very height of it, it is not heaven quality. Mm-hmm. It, it is self-righteousness. It is produced by by the own human effort. And that goes cross-grain to the salvation of grace. Mm-hmm. So, oh, apart from Jesus, can, can man do good things? Yeah. Paul said in Corinthians 13, uh, if I give my body to be burned, if, if I give to the poor, even if I could do, say to this mountain, be removed. But without love, you're nothing. Mm. It's all nothing. Yeah. Everything that Paul did, Paul said, I consider it as the old King That's James says, as dung. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just a lot of BS. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. it's 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 that it has no value mm-hmm. in terms of eternity. So, can man do good things? Yeah, he can go to church. He can give to the poor, but it it, it is not a righteousness that 
is of God. It's of righteousness that is produced by the flesh. And if it's produced by the flesh in itself, it is nauseating mm-hmm. uh, to the holiness of God. Yeah. That's interesting you brought up that verse. We just went over that verse only uh, about a few weeks ago. That, um, yeah, all these works are, are nothing mm-hmm. without, without Christ. You have a notice there's anything you wanted to share with us about about reaching to the to the less fortunate and um or is there anything of of specific topic you wanna you wanna discuss before we get into the last topic I wanted to talk about well I guess uh, my heart at this time of the year always goes to Romans five when I'm dealing with the um uh with the Christmas story and, and, and the homeless shelter at 180 Henry Avenue, where I've been for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that is that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And um, there is that sense that human value is not determined by the human condition. Mm-hmm. That while we were still sinners, that's the human condition. While we are still sinners, that's the human experience. We are born in sin, and we behave sinfully. So both by behavior and by our sense of, of uh, birth, we are sinners and sinful. Mm. So, But while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, uh, we could not convert ourselves, we could not change ourselves, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the... Human value is not determined by the human experience, is not, con- is not determined by the human condition. And so we have to, from where does man get his value? Mm-hmm. You know, man gets his intrinsic value by the fact that he's created in the image of God. Government doesn't give that to you, you know? Yeah. I mean, if the government gave it to you, the indigenous people are right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, how they have been... Uh, almost to the point of genocide. Yeah, you know, through residential schools and the whole orange shirt uh, dynamic, and the babies now in in the thousands that they found across mm-hmm. the Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to think of that, you know, that there was a time when religion became so politicized. Yeah, uh, I, t- I used to teach a class in the spirituality mm-hmm. class called the Big Lie. You know, when they came in there with their black robes and their long boats. And they came from Europe and said, we, we want the land and we want the, we want the wealth. But there's already proud nations living here. Mm. You know, in the east, there was the Mi'kmaq and the Algonquin and the yeah. Hurons. And out through Ontario, there was, you know, down through the, the Cree and Ojibwe, down through Salto, Michigan. Yep. And out west, I mean, proud nations with mm-hmm. their own language and their yeah. own culture. And we came in our black robes and in our long boats and said, we got, we got good news for you. God will love you just the way he loves us. If you'll dress like us, if you'll speak, if you'll speak our language, yeah. if you'll go to our schools, if you wear our clothes. Yeah. And so, and so I, I would teach this class and you could feel the, 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 tension. the intense, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the squeezing of the, hmm. and they would say, well, pastor, what's the big lie? Right. Yeah. And I said, the big lie is that you had to have a certain condition, meet a certain condition of expectation for God to love you. Mm-hmm. The fact is that God loved you before a white man ever got here. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. That God loves you just the way you are. The color of your skin. He loves your culture. He loves your language. Mm-hmm. 
but in Canada, it was against the law for uh, an indigenous person to to publicly wear their their galia. Their imagine that their cultural galia. It's, it was against the law. They could be imprisoned. Yeah. yeah. And for their language, uh, what other country in the world did the church go to? Didn't go to Japan and say you got to speak English. Yeah. You know. Right. We had, we learned their language. Yeah. Right. But when it came, oh, and the the, the great. It's okay. Hmm. The great tragedy is that we had these expectations of religion. It's no wonder that our entire generations have said mm-hmm. the white man's God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there is no white man's God versus a red man's God or, or a black man's God. There is one God of heaven and earth who loves his people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't love us because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because he loves us. He always loves us. There's always been a whosoever in the heart of the God. He's always loved the world. It, Jesus didn't change the Father's mind. You know, he, he revealed the Father's mind to say God loves you just the way you are, the language you speak, the clothes you wear, yeah. the house you live in. Yeah, yeah. that's... The bringing that up now, the yeah. for people listening, I know we actually do have listeners outside of Canada. Um, for people that don't know, there was a past. We won't get into details, uh, but essentially, the church, and I say the church, many different denominations, had uh, worked together with the Canadian government to um, force religion and force the language of English and force our education on people that. Um, didn't ask for it. Um, so many were hurt, many were abused, many were killed, and many were outcasted mm-hmm. by the church. This is clearly a t- touchy subject. Um, speaking with many of my indigenous friends, it's it's very difficult for me to approach this topic because of the amount that they've been hurt. Mm-hmm. And and the the fault is put on the church, and I believe rightfully so, because what they did at that time so how can we show them that this was not Christ, but rather sinful acts of man? And how do we, how do we draw this community? It's many different communities, but how do we draw them away from this, this feeling towards the church and a justified feeling? But how, how, do we, how do we now show them the actual message of Christ mm-hmm. when they've been hurt so badly? Yeah, the... Um I guess the commission that's in Canada now is called the Commission of Truth and Reconciliation. And um, I like the way you establish it's, it's truth and reconciliation. There is no reconciliation without the acknowledgement of the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, be it a personal truth, I must admit that I'm a sinner to be reconciled. Yeah. Or be it the national truth. If we would want to be reconciled, uh, then we would say... Uh, that we take the initiative, you know. We say we have dehumanized and devalued, and to the point that there's generational blood on our hands. I mean, really. So this is the truth of it. But I, I, I come with a sense of humility, and, and and I acknowledge that truth. I can't justify it or mm. put it in some historical context. Mm. There is no historical context I can justify. The that, actions, yeah. you know, yeah. and so there is the truth, 
that God's love and God's grace is is the basis of our reconciliation. So we, we it takes time, and it takes a, a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. There, it, 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 they have to see it as truth. What you're saying is truth, and truth is right. not truth is not just a list of facts, but truth is the embracing, the integration of that into your mm-hmm. life. When we say yes, this is a part of our national identity. I wasn't born back then, but that's but it's a part of my national identity. I have responsibility to the present generation and to a coming generation. Mm-hmm. You know, and when they, there's a spirit of truth that will be the elders and the leadership of the indigenous nations. Uh, they know the spirit of truth when they hear it. Yeah. The the soul of the indigenous peoples is spiritual. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. they're rooted into the earth, they're rooted into the water, they're rooted into the air we breathe. And so they they know truth when they hear it. Not just a list of facts, but yeah. they know the spirit of truth. Hmm. And the spirit of truth is always spoken with love and the spirit of truth is always presented in humiliation. And when they say when they see love and humiliation, that will create a an environment of reconciliation. Mm. Mm. But we cannot politicize it. We cannot monetize it. We just can't throw money at it and say, okay, there now, we we'll, go. Problems now, we'll, now we'll reconcile yeah. with $10 yeah. billion yeah. Dollars to it. There's no price tag right. on reconciliation. The price tag has been paid by Jesus Christ. Mm. He is the reconciler. And we. I believe that in Christ there's a common ground for indigenous people to worship Jesus Christ in the integrity of their own culture, mm-hmm. in the integrity of their own language, you know. I, I find it, yeah, the, the message of Christ can reach to anyone. My um, my auntie um, is actually from the Taltan tribe in British Columbia, and uh, her mother um, was actually part of a residential school in British Columbia. Hmm. She had experienced what that did the abuse yet she still found christ and is a believing christian to this day despite Mm -hmm. the pain and and hurt that she went through i I can't imagine the amount of strength and the the relationship with god that she has i i i'll see if i can find her testimony she shared it on facebook and it's extremely powerful but through this hurt, I, I do really agree with one thing that you said where it takes time. And I mm-hmm. think that's going to be the biggest thing. It's going to take time to to earn that trust that has been broken. Yeah. And I believe that if we show it through our actions, showing the fruits of the Spirit to them, I think that that is one of the ways that we can reach out the most is showing showing the love of Christ, going out of our way to show that every day of our lives and and changing our mindset like like pastor was saying earlier mm-hmm. changing our mindset towards it and there's there's so much i so much i love about the community the amount that they take care of our of our planet mm-hmm. the the amount of awe that they have towards creation i'm like that is god right there it's speaking in them they look at the creation and they've so much so much respect for it even even when they when they hunt an animal they pray to the north pray to the south pray to the east pray to the west and there, there's so much that I believe you're right about, like the spiritual aspect that is so ingrained in their culture. I, I, I believe once, once the pain and the hurt, which never goes away, but once mm-hmm. they have more time, I believe that love of Christ can easily enter into the indigenous community and they can see the grace of God yeah. and, and eventually find Christ. 
what every culture needs to be brought to the cross to be redeemed. Hmm. No culture is 100% pure. None. <laughs> uh, indigenous, European, Asian, yeah. Filipino, whatever culture you're in, yeah. there are aspects of that culture that need to be brought to the cross and to be either put to death or to be adjusted to be more, to be righteous. And mm. so um, I, I think that the, uh, the cultural genocide of our, what we've done is, is, as a church to the indigenous is, um, apart from the grace of God, is irreconcilable, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think, but I, do, I don't think that anything is beyond redemption. I don't think that anything is beyond reconciliation. I think if God can redeem an individual, God can redeem a culture. Yeah. yeah. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to meet together and worship the Messiah, God's Son, and know that the Creator is not the white man's Creator. Mm-hmm. He's the Creator of heaven and earth mm-hmm. and all nations mm-hmm. are all of one blood. Under as what Acts 17 says, that all nations are of one blood under heaven. And so we all have that that tree, family tree thing that goes back to to Adam, to the beginnings. And we're all of the human race. We're all of brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, no culture promotes over another in Jesus Christ. Paul said there's neither Greek nor Scythian. And Scythians, they were, barbarians were, were cultured by the Scythian standards. Yeah. Scythians yeah. were pretty low. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm according to King James here. Or, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, but he said neither bar, neither uh, Greek. The Greeks were the were the height of the intellectualism, mm. right? right? Yeah. And the barbarians and the Scythians, they were on the other scale. But he said, in Christ, there's neither Greek nor Scythian or barbarian. We are all one in Christ. There's neither male nor female. There is that sense that the cross brings us all to equal ground. Mm-hmm. And it's too bad back in the several hundred years ago when Europe came into North America, they, they didn't have an understanding of the equality and the redemption that is in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And that's that's what boggles my mind so much is that these guys, they were, they were professing to be Christians, yeah. yet it's almost like they didn't read their own word, mm-hmm. that every life has value. And I, I still see that today and think about Unfortunately, all the all the babies that have been snuffed out of of ever having a chance because we've looked at that and said that that isn't we don't value that. Yeah. And I think both both abortion, which we've talked about on the podcast in the past, and this topic of what we've done to the indigenous community is a blot. It's a stain, and we're gonna we, we've looked back at that and said I I don't I don't know what they were doing, but with Christ. All life has value. Yes. And I, I think that's very unique to the Judeo-Christian worldview, that all life has value. And because of that, that means that we are all made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army in the 1800s, 1870 oh. in London, England. Mm-hmm. Hence the Booth Center name. The Booth oh. Center. I didn't know that. Booth Drive. Grace, Grace Hospital was a Salvation Army hospital for many years oh, okay. on Booth Drive. Yeah. Oh, okay. Booth College. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never made that connection. Yes, I went to Booth. <laughs> John and Catherine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> William and Catherine uh, Booth. Uh, the last sermon that he preached, this is what he said. He said, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. 
While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out as they do now, I'll fight. While there is one poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight, I'll fight to the very end. Wow. And so we need to have the spirit of William Booth rebirthed in the church, not just the Salvation Army, but everyone who names the name of Christ. needs to know that our fight is not against liberals and conservatives in the NDP. Our fight is not against political positioning or even religious labels. Mm -hmm. Our fight is to the souls of men who are broken and bruised and women and children that are on the streets 3,000 or so here in Winnipeg that are, quote, homeless. Right. Mm-hmm. That we need to reach out in the name of Jesus and show them dignity. Let them know they have a destiny and that God has a design and a purpose for their life because they mm-hmm. have been created in the very image of God. Yeah. Amen. So powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, any other thoughts, Emily? that you want to share? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of great stuff today. Me too. Um, it's truly wonderful to have you on the podcast and all the work that you've done with Salvation Army and at the church. Um, your story is pretty inspirational of how you got there and how um, you're working with the homeless population in Winnipeg. And it's just shows how Christians can do the work that God has called them to and how we can keep on fighting for what is right in Canada. Amen. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute joy for me to be here today. Yes. Um, you, you sort of made my my sit on the couch rather comfy. And, uh, <laughs> well, and, I appreciate uh, it. He didn't push me too much, so I <laughs> thank you for the generosity of the time that you gave me to share on this podcast. And, and I just commend you guys for the initiative and the vision that you have to establish this podcast. No and, I, and I pray that God's increase will be on it mm. and that he will make you uh, influencers mm-hmm. in his kingdom. Thank you. And I, I also want to say, too, like, I've known, for those listening, I've known Pastor Randy uh, since I was born my entire life. <laughs> uh, and he's always been, like, a second father to me. And I know that I can always go to Pastor when I have questions. So I just really appreciate all your spiritual guidance in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for many, many years to come. Um, so thank you for joining us. And thank you all for listening today. Should we get... Pastor Randy to pray for sure. on the podcast. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause at this moment to come to the throne of grace. We thank you for the boldness that is ours through Jesus Christ, for the great atonement that you have provided in the death of your son and his triumphant resurrection. We pray your blessing upon this podcast today. May it be aired in the spirit of grace and kindness and love in which it was presented. I pray, Lord, that it will not just touch us intellectually, but deep within us, that we might know the spirit of the truth that is there, that all men are created in the image of God with dignity, with destiny, and with design. And now, my dear friend, I pray that God will bless you and keep you, that he will cause his face to shine upon you 
and be gracious unto you, that he will lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. I pray this over your hurts and over your hearts and over all of your homes. I pray this in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And I might add a Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry <laughs> yeah, Christmas. Christmas season. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. You can support us on Patreon, and we also have a website called DisciplesQuest.net. We're on all the major social medias. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, I post a blog every two weeks on Wednesdays. Shout out to our Patreon supporters, Darlene, Brendan, and Philip. Thank you so much, and may God bless you on your quest to be a better disciple. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye-bye.